this book is like having your heart ripped out of your body and then thrown down a mountain and then the heart like falls into the river and then the river becomes a waterfall and then once it's gone through the waterfall somebody picks up your heart that has been thrown down a mountain and been in the water and burns it hello and welcome to 10 pages in hi i'm your host senthal for those of you who are new here for those of you who have been here before hello and welcome back uh grab something to drink maybe something to eat or start doing something mind-bogglingly boring because that's what I generally do when I listen to podcasts. For those of you who have been here before, you probably realize this sounds a bit different. This sounds crisp. And that is because I have bought a mic. Yes, I have because I actually have an aneurysm every time I have to listen to my audio recordings because of my phone quality and so I was just like you know enough's enough I've turned 20 years old and now I need a microphone so that's why this podcast sounds so so much better and the person who is happy about this the most is probably me and It'll probably encourage more people to think that this isn't a recording that I do in my car every month, but it is, regardless of whether the mic is here or not, because cars are just the perfect place to record. So, let us move into this month's theme, and that is big books. I know nobody likes big books. To be honest, this podcast episode has given me much stress and anxiety because I'll be reading books right up until the date that I need to stop reading them. I have to read a specific amount of pages every day, like a quota of some sort. So... Don't worry, if you are scared of big books, so am I, but I only have 28 days to read books that are 500 pages or more. That is the criteria for a big book, in my opinion, and so every single book on this list is more than 500 pages. Like, doesn't that just blow your mind? Like, how can a book be that long? But I guess we just have to accept it and move on. So, let's just get into the books I read for February. And the first book that I read this month... Sorry, if you can hear lightning, it is raining. And there is a lot of thunder and a lot of lightning. So if you hear it, just think of it as mood music, okay? So the first book that I read this month is The Shadow of What Was Lost by James Islington. I'm going to have to explain this book 
very very succinctly because if you like miss something it can get really confusing so in this world there are two types of humans humans without magic and then humans with magic and humans with magic are called gifted or gift i don't know if it's gifted or gift or the gift not really i can't really remember the details and people with the gift have magic however they are branded with this mark at a young age through this like magical instrument and this mark makes them totally subservient and obedient to humans without magic because many years ago there was these beings who are also human but had more magic than the gifted called uh, augurs i think that's how you pronounce it and these augurs had the ability to almost see the future and so they would give out these warnings to humanity and one day these warnings start going wrong and then they lie about it and so because they lied about it humans were like no these people are evil they're going to destroy our society blah 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 and so they killed all the augurs and they put these rules onto the gifted humans and you can almost think of them as like the robot laws in irobot um where a robot cannot kill a human being they're like really similar to those sort of laws and so we are brought into the society of the gifted where they are heavily like monitored and they can't do much and they like discriminated against and so we open to this character called Davian who is a gifted human and he has these powers and experiences this discrimination but through a series of unfortunate events he becomes like involved in this massive plot where this enemy has awoken again and is coming from a north from the north and then in the west this random stranger wakes up but their fate is heavily twisted with Davians and it's a very complicated high fantasy i would say um i liked the story the plot was excellent the plot twists were amazing some things i didn't see like didn't see coming others i did see coming overall i think the strongest point in this book is the complexity of the world building the plot the secrets how characters are connected to one another how they aren't connected to one another and it's a pretty outstanding book because despite all this information that's been like shoved down your throat um it doesn't feel as forced onto you as in the lies of lochlomora by scott lynch which i didn't like because scotland would give you information about places you didn't actually need to know about and so i was kind of confused about that part of the book but this one didn't have that everything that you needed to know was given to you and everything else is kind of left as a general mystery 
However, because this book is like massive, it's like near 700 pages long, most of it is devoted to the plot because this is a trilogy, though I really think that it should have been like a longer book series because as a result of this highly complex world building plot plot twists um integrated histories the author really lacks in getting us to feel and empathize with the characters i would have hoped that the plot twists were kind of beaten into me like because I wanted to feel like feel feel like I was shocked but it didn't like sink into me how much of a revelation this information is because you got to get all this information down so that you move on with the story also it has very very strong similarities to Lord of the Rings and the Wheel of Time and I've only watched the show of The Wheel of Time, and even I can see how similar this author is writing the general structure of a quest novel out. It's like basically the same things are happening with a bit more unique and diverted worlds. So if you like The Wheel of Time and you want to read more, then I recommend this book. But you're not going to get anything out of it. It's kind of like reading Dracula spin-offs, if you understand what I'm saying. Dracula is the original. And since you've read Dracula, you know like the general idea of what Dracula is. And everything afterwards is kind of a, a spin-off if they're trying to go really close to the original script. Quotation marks. So I kind of felt that the structure was a bit stale I didn't really get anything new out of it despite the fact that the story is really well written like the author does a brilliant job at getting these immense plot points and histories down in a way that is easy to digest for someone who is not really good in high like good with high fantasy and then also because there's a system of I would say time loops and there's a lot of time jumps, time like where you know there's characters that pop up further in time to warn you about something and tell you that something is going to happen because it's already happened but at the same time it's going to happen even though you've read you understand the time loop thingy ma bobby that's what it is and so a lot of that happens and so you have these random people pop up and say these extremely vague prophetic things and then disappear and you're like um okay and after a while it gets it gets kind of irritating because you're like eventually I'll figure it out but this is like too much this is too much and I understand that the ergos are supposed to be or augers are supposed to be these prophetic beings but like it's just too much when you already know some of the things that are happening. So if you can guess generally what this prophetic vision or dream or information is, then it kind of gets old very quickly. So I didn't really enjoy how Islington chose to really beat into you the fact that 
these augurs are prophetic and people in this story can see the future and they can just do whatever they want because they can. So my rating would be, I think, three and a half because I don't, I think it could be a four. A lot of people seem to like it, but most of the people who like this novel have read The Wheel of Time, so they're just going back for more because they like this type of genre. Then another thing is that I have to read a quote from the novel, and which is so great because now that my my microphone is connected to my computer, my phone is free. So I can look at my phone, which I am doing right now, and find a nice little quote for us so I can tell you a little bit about the novel. Oh my gosh, you can just hear the lightning. This is why Joburg is considered the city of storms. No, isn't that Cape Town? I, I don't know. Okay, so this is the quote. You can put your trust in something that's obvious, that's measurable or predictable, but that's not faith, nor is believing in something that gives you no pause for doubt, no reason or desire to question. Faith is something more than that. By definition, it cannot have proof as its foundation. That's a really beautiful quote, I'm not going to lie. So let's move on to the next book. Next we have Emma by Jane Austen. Everyone who's been here for a while knows that I would lick Jane Austen's feet and not regret it, but I really, really enjoyed Emma, surprisingly, because I have watched some of the the tv series and some of the movie of emma and i hated her in both of them not that jane austen like wrote a bad novel it's just that emma as a person is detestable like if you think of someone that i would hate to be friends with emma would come up that's how much i hate her as a character and that's kind of the point she's supposed to be this unlikable person who doesn't know when not to stick their nose in other people's business. And because she seems to stick her nose in other people's business, she gets in a lot of trouble. And the troubles that she goes through because of her irritating personality is what we read about in the novel Emma. I do not like Emma as a character, but I do think that the novel Emma is probably better than Pride and Prejudice, and I'm not entirely mad about that. I think that Emma does the character development, plot, characters, storyline just a tad bit better than Pride and Prejudice because there seems to be more interweaving of romance and scandal and humor in this novel. It seems to be more put together than Pride and Prejudice and it seems to have more balance. So you would have some romance, you would have some humor, you would have some scandalous moments and interesting characters and 
Emma was just a lot better at balancing those elements compared to Pride and Prejudice. However, Pride and Prejudice is still my favorite novel because of how much I just cannot stand Emma as a character. Like, I was sweating. I was sweating. I was like, Emma, please, please, please do not do what I think you're going to do. And that was just me the whole way through the first half of the novel because I was just like twitching. I was like, please don't do what I know you are going to do. And so because I had this strong reaction to the novel, I have a lot more respect for Emma as a novel because it takes a lot to really get on my nerves. And Emma just did that perfectly. Five out of five, great Austen novel. However, even though I like think Emma is the superior novel to Pride and Prejudice, the age gap between the two love interests is a bit big. It's like 10 years and it gets a little bit weird at the end of the novel because when they talk about their relationship, the guy is like, yeah, I have loved you since you were this sassy 14-year-old child. And I was like, excuse me, what? It gave me very much Jane Eyre problematic vibes, but at least Jane Eyre was 18. I think Emma is 18 in the novel, but like when they were talking about when Emma was like younger, I was like, oh, maybe not. That's why I definitely think that Pride and Prejudice is a bit more, you know, my thing. Because I, I'm a bit iffy about age gaps. It also bothered me in Jane Eyre a little bit how big the age gap was. But I kind of got over it because it was like so cute. And I was like, oh. even though Mr. Rochester is very, very questionable as a person, don't worry, I know. I know that he is not exactly the most acceptable person on the planet that we call Earth or character. Um, And then the quote from Emma is, I certainly will not persuade myself to feel more than I do. I am quite enough in love. I should be sorry to be more. Like... How wild is that, trying to rationalise love? Ugh, Jane Austen is a legend. Anyway, moving on. And the next book we have is The Star, The Darling of the Internet at the moment, and that is The Poppy War by R.F. Kuang. This book I've been wanting to read for a long time because it is being spoken about on every single platform by every single YouTuber that I can think of and nobody that I have watched has had anything bad to say about this book. It's always brilliant reviews. It has made so many rounds on the internet. It could be participating in like the Olympics of how many times it has been around the internet and I've read it, and I can tell you that they were all right. They were, they were right. 
but also in a very, very bad way because I have words for this book and they are not all good words, let me tell you. Before I get emotional, which this review is going to get, I have to say the synopsis. So, this novel is set in, I would say, 20th century China, but not really. It's more like a rough setting, uh, a source of inspiration for this novel was 20th century China. And we begin this novel in the Rooster Province, this farming province in China. Or, I don't know what the country was called, but let's just call it China because I forgot what it is. Um, the Rooster Province in this country is like a farming con- like province. Not many people go to school. Everyone kind of just farms and like works for their parents and plays around. And it's kind of very poor. And in this province, we have Rin an orphan of war, the poppy war that happened many years ago, and she's this kind of dark-skinned girl who has been orphaned to this family, and they look after her because of the war, and they don't really like her, and so they're like, in order to make money off this orphan, let's just sell her to this older man and get money from this man for her hand in marriage. And Rin is like, no, 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 no. And I agree. No, please do not marry off this child to this really old man. And Rin is like, I'm not going to take this. I'm not. I'm putting my foot down here. (laughs) And she's like, how do I get out of this situation? And coincidentally, there is this test called the Keju or I think Keju and if you get like the highest mark in the province of the the rooster province in Rin's case then she will get admitted to this institution called synagogue or sign god and this this institution if you get in you don't have to pay a tuition fee so because her foster parents are like we're not going to pay for you you have to get in by yourself and so if you can't get in then you're going to get married so Rin studies for this test and she studies really hard and she gets in the top of the province and nobody believed her they thought she was cheating that she had like done something But she had gotten in on her own, through her own hard work. And so she gets in and she goes to synagogue, to this rich new place, this rich province with these beautiful buildings compared to where she'd come from. And it's nothing that she expected because she is heavily discriminated against because her skin is very dark and she's an orphan and she came from like the poorest province and so she gets bullied and discriminated against and we kind of follow her journey through this process of trying to kind of prove to everyone there that she deserves to be there because everyone there is basically like 
famous generals and people in government, their children go there. So these are like rich people and she's like the opposite. And so we follow her, but at the same time, you can see that the poppy war has not been resolved 100% and there are still some military disputes, political disputes going on and we can see that the war is going to start up again and so how Rin's world and this war collide is where the story continues into the second and third book. This book is like having your heart ripped out of your body and then thrown down a mountain and then the heart like falls into the river and then the river becomes a waterfall and then once it's gone through the waterfall somebody picks up your heart that has been thrown down a mountain and been in the water and burns it and that's the emotional feelings that i had when i was reading this novel because it is like emotional damage 100 like there is like a level of if there was a level above 100 percent, that's where the emotional damage of this novel is which is surprising because it's very simplistic in its writing style it's not like many adult fantasy novels high fantasy novels where they kind of lean into the descriptions and get a little bit more complicated with the writing style. And so when I started reading it, I was like, this is Chinese Harry Potter. And I don't know if that's an insult to Harry Potter and an, or an insult to R.F. Kuang, but let's just say that it's a compliment to both of them because it it's written like in the beginning like a, like Harry Potter because if you think about it, it's like, that in Harry Potter and that's what gives me the idea that this is a Chinese American author because I have read books by Chinese authors and they do not read like this so I immediately knew that there was a lot of like western European influence in this novel so I was like got you because I thought it was like a proper Chinese author like from China and so I was surprised with the simplistic writing style that reminded me a lot of the magic and the beauty of reading Harry Potter, which I have only read three books, to be totally honest, if I'm just, just saying. But it kind of reads at the beginning like a middle grade novel, but the topics that are discussed in this novel are like adult so just trigger warnings it's not good it's not do not make your children read this please i would suggest 16 upwards that's the audience that we're going for but even with the simplistic writing style rf kuang does olympic level damage on my heart and the plot is excellent, the story is excellent, the characters are excellent, like 9 out of 10. The reason that it's not 10 out of 10 is because I'm just a horrible person. So just think of it as 10 out of 10. But it's not a novel that I would say is my favorite in the whole world because I don't think that I could read it again 
because I would be too sad. But also, I would be too angry at the same time. Then, to kind of give you a snippet of the emotional writing that I had to go through, I'm just going to read two quotes because they're both brilliant. And so, the first quote is, But the misery she felt now was a good misery. This misery she reveled in because she had chosen it for herself. And then the second one is, how did you explain to a child the idea of gravity until they knew what it meant to fall? I just, I'm just, reading these quotes make me kind of want to cry. So let's just move on before that happens. And then the final book for this month's reading review is Too Big to Fail by Andrew Ross Sorkin. This is a non-fiction. Just want to put that out there. And it's a non-fiction detailing the government's the financial industries and CEOs' efforts to save Wall Street and the financial system in 2008. And the book is written in third person, so you are taken to these conferences, meetings, secret meetings. You are taken into the CEO's homes and their offices and into discussions with their colleagues and you're almost given a first-hand account of what they were feeling, what was going through their heads and it's very interesting compared to how other non-fictions are written because instead of having this detached overview of the play of how events turned out we have this third person discussion where you are feeling what this person is feeling and you are seeing what they are feeling as they try and save wall street for those of you who don't know about the 2008 financial crash let me tell you it is so fascinating because there's this period in history which is considered a crisis like the great depression but I never studied in history, despite the fact that the amount of people affected by this financial crash extended beyond America, the USA. It went across borders and had very strong effects on the financial system because it basically created the term too big to fail. Because what that means is that these financial institutions that existed then and still are in existence now are so large and overreaching that if they were ever to fail, for example, Amazon, then effectively the government would have to bail them out because they would cause such a domino effect on the rest of the financial system so 
It was super interesting to get a more detailed account of what happened in 2008 because I'd watched The Big Short, which is like like a documentary slash movie, fictional movie about the financial crisis. And then I've also watched The Inside Job, which is a documentary, I think that won an Oscar. And they were both so fascinating. So I've always wanted to learn more about this financial crisis. And so I decided to read Too Big to Fail. And I definitely think it's one of the best nonfictions that I've read because it's engaging to people who are interested in the subject and it is told in such a way that makes it engaging. If you are not sure that you would be interested in a topic like this, I recommend watching The Inside Job or The Big Short first so that you kind of get your understanding of what is going on kind of more advanced because this book has a lot of details and requires some background knowledge of the financial crash. It's unfortunate that it didn't include the specifics of why the financial system failed because it's based on the system of credit and terms like CDOs and mortgage securities and mortgages and there are some things that require a little bit more understanding that they didn't really go into depth about because the book was more of a play to play of how the government tried to save the financial system. So I would probably read another book on the financial crisis before I can tell you for certain that I have my understanding of it cemented. It also was so upsetting because it detailed how much of a boys club Wall Street is because these people were 90% elder white male and I'm pretty sure in the entire book only five women's names were mentioned and that includes international characters that come in and have to deal with these companies. So it was very interesting to see the social side of it as well as the political side, whereas the financial side was more discussed in the documentaries and movies that I've watched. I think I think for sure that it's a five-star read because of how interesting it was, especially the unique way that it was told. And I think if you want to read a nonfiction, this is a very good place to start, especially if you want to read financial nonfiction. And now we have reached the end of my February review. I wanted to finish Crime and Punishment before the end of this month, but I totally crashed when I had to start reading Too Big to Fail because going from complete fiction to non-fiction is a very drastic jump because you have to concentrate on what the person is saying in a non-fiction, otherwise you'll kind of get lost in the meanings and the descriptions and the characters especially because there were so many people in too big to fail you had to kind of keep your head together to read it then i hope that you guys enjoyed this month 
Next month is very interesting for me because I'm dipping my toe into some much more mainstream novels, if I can give you a brief snippet of what it is going to be. And then also, I hope that you enjoyed this podcast episode. I'm trying to keep it short and sweet, so I'm just going to leave you with this message. I hope that you guys read past the first 10 pages because I can guarantee you some novels only get better on the last page. Kudos to 100 Years of Solitude for beating that message into my brain. And I'll see you guys next month.